Americans, the Americans call, call them MREs. And yes, occasionally they even have chocolate bars in them, uh, which I noticed Carmen has absconded from her children. <laughs> What's going on here? And, and the plastic bag is called uh, a heater bag. So the way it works is that you get your main meal. How many of you have ripped it open enough to find a cardboard box and it, it says a, there's a meal on it? What you do is you take it out of the cardboard box, you put a little bit of water in your heater bag, you put your foil packet meal into that plastic heater bag, seal up the top, and leave it for, for about 10 minutes or however long it says on the instructions. And then after that, you, you take it out, and it's gonna be kinda hot. You can't hold the foil packet because it gets really warm. You put it back inside the cardboard sleeve, and you should find utensils in there, and that's lunch or supper for that day. I didn't bring any of the breakfast ones. But I'll come back to that a little bit later on, and uh, hope that you're able to find all of the good things that the Canadian Armed Forces provides for their people, including people even that are fighting fires in um, Western Canada. It's very easy to be able to make sure that they're fed with the right number of calories that they would need every day, because you'll tell, you'll find out there's lots of food in there. And, uh, and you'll have enough calories to be able to work hard and be nourished. But I want to be able to switch gears for a little minute and ask you this question. Looks like Glenn has found a mint or, a, or, or yes. <laughs> candy <laughs> for after your meal, you see. Uh, what is, is my mic on? Oh, is my mic on just now? Um, and we do want to be able to welcome the people that have joined us on Zoom today as well also. Oh, and I can use this one if it works better for you guys. You let me know. Okay. You get, can everybody hear me okay inside here? Yeah, Peter says at the back he's got his thumb up. So, so there is some amplification. So I want to go back and, and, and switch gears away from IMPs to be able to uh, ask you a question. What guides the Christian life more than anything else? If you just think about that for a little minute, I bet for many of you, the word Jesus has come to mind. Switch. Problem at all. Test. When we think about the word Jesus, we think to ourselves, where would we be without having him to be able to guide us in our individual life and experience as a Christian? Uh, I think to myself, the crowning act of God's big redemptive story throughout the whole Bible is found in Jesus Christ. But also, uh, his example for living is found so much in Jesus who voluntarily took on human flesh and who decided to be able to live among people just like you and I. That, to me, is absolutely incredible. So his example of how to interact with people is inspiring. That's why often, when a person 
starts out the Christian experience and they say, well, where should I start reading in the Bible? We'll often say a gospel. Sometimes we'll say the book of John. And we're going to look at that in just a moment because Revelation is written by John. Amos has been helping us to be able to see that when you read through the book of Revelation, it's really all about Jesus. And the author of Revelation, the disciple John, also wrote this in John chapter 1 verse 14 in the message. It says, the word became flesh and bud and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Hmm. Another translation said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jennifer and I, we were talking about this idea of moving into the neighborhood. And we said, that's a good analogy for both of us to understand how Jesus came and started to be able to uh, work and interact and live and laugh and joke with people that were just like you and I. You know, let's think about neighborhoods for a minute. Um, all of us live in a neighborhood right now. Um, I remember one of the neighborhoods I lived in from about grade one to grade three. It was kind of out in the country and it was a bit of a rural setting. I remember the retired neighbors that lived across the street, but really we didn't have hardly any people living beside us. Um, we never saw any other children with the exception of one short period of time. And then when we moved into the city, into North Kamloops, I was about grade three, and we were in more of a residential city block, and there was lots of homes around us and lots of families. In fact, the family next door had 10 kids in it. It was great. The younger ones were close to my age, and the ones that were slightly older didn't mind playing with us and would put up with us. So I can remember baseball games in the backyard because we didn't have a fence between our yards and all kinds of fun that we had in our neighborhood. But I can also remember the other neighbors that lived around us, people that had uh, influence upon us, people who we knew who we came to understand. And as I think back to myself, fortunately, they were great people. I know sometimes we might have grown up in a neighborhood or maybe currently are in a neighborhood and we think to ourselves, oh, that person is not very friendly or that person is maybe a little bit grumpy, but that wasn't the case in my neighborhood. They were really wonderful people. And so I want you to think a little bit about neighborhoods maybe you've lived in or maybe the one that you're in right now because you learn and know about neighbors around you, but you also are a neighbor to them as well. And I think it's really important for us to be able to think a little bit about the way in which Jesus came like into a neighborhood of people. There would have been people who lived beside and behind Mary and Joseph. There would have been a community that they would have known people that they would have associated with, people that Joseph would have had to do business with and trade with, and Jesus would have grown up where he would have known those people and those people would have known him. And then eventually there is this time that comes where he 
passes being a child and a teenager, and he becomes an adult, and he all of a sudden realizes it's game on. Now is the time where I have a limited period of time to be able to live and teach and work amongst these people so that they can fully understand who I am. Because I really don't think that, this is Bob Lay's thinking, I'm not thinking that when you're five years old that that much divinity comes out. Because we believe in the Christian church that Jesus was fully human and fully divine. But, but I kind of think to myself, what was Jesus like at five years old? Has anybody else ever wondered that? What was, what was he like as a little kid? You know, it, scripture doesn't seem to record very much there. But I kind of wonder what that was like, because Mary and Joseph knew, right? But Jesus would have been emerging, I think, through most of his humanness as a little person. And then eventually, when he becomes a teenager and moves into adulthood, all of a sudden, this larger responsibility that he has, not only for the people that live around him, but for all of humanity, all of a sudden becomes really evident. And it's so wonderful that we actually have the clear record in the gospel of who Jesus was and what he did and the way in which he influenced people. And the wonderful thing about, for us, being able to read it is it's not simply just something that is cognitive for us. It's something that we humbly ask God to be able to help us to understand so that it can penetrate us at a deeper level of our hearts and lives. In fact, that's the reason why we read in the Bible that the Holy Spirit was given to us. It's so that the Spirit helps us to see and know Jesus and understand the way that he moved into the neighborhood. J.I. Packer is a great Christian author that once said, the way that the Holy Spirit works is a little bit like a floodlight that shines up against a building to be able to illuminate it even in the darkness of night. I can remember Jennifer and I, we were driving south one time, and we were driving through a bunch of area that doesn't have a lot of houses on it, but as you drive along, you get to a corner, a junction, and there's a church there. And uh, it was dark, and we couldn't really see very much that night, but the people at that church decided to put these big floodlights that shined up against the front of it in here. In the middle of nowhere, seemingly, we have this amazing illumination of this beautiful stone church. And I think to myself, that's the way in which when we pray, and we ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand who Jesus is, it becomes more than just reading and a mental understanding. And that's a great gift that we have. And that's really important for us as we start to allow God to work in our hearts and lives and to maybe make a difference in our lives in an increasing way so that we can ultimately reflect him to others. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, it says, For uh, to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. So here is the thing. We get this great privilege and opportunity, not only to know him, not only for him to make a difference in our lives for our benefit, 
but rather so that we can trust in him as our savior and our leader and to continue to transform us into his example so that we can make an impression on those who live in our different neighborhoods of our lives. Those who live around us, those who work where we work, those people who socialize where we socialize. Another verse that guided me when I started to think about this and gave me a little bit more of an idea of how to be able to go along with this is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jennifer and I, we were talking in our house recently about how Sometimes candles can give off such an amazingly wonderful aroma. How many people here like to have candles and enjoy burning them in their house and they give off such a great fragrance? And a week or two ago when Jennifer was away, um, I woke up at 5 o'clock in the morning and I did not smell something that was a fragrant aroma. Can you imagine what it was that I woke up to at my house? Skunk, yeah, <laughs> you, you had it right on. I do not know where the skunk came from. I don't know where it went. It hasn't seemed to have been around since. It was absolutely awful. I couldn't sleep anymore. It, it somehow or other just ended up affecting our car really badly and our house for a number of hours. And fortunately, that smell mostly went away by the time Jennifer came home. But I thought, what an amazing contrast between a sweet fragrance and between this awful experience that I had. And I realized that the fragrant offering and sacrifice that Jesus brought into our world is meant, first of all, to be able to impact us when we are able to come into contact with him and know him in a personal way in our lives that makes a difference. And then we go forward from that point realizing this is the way that you were with us that you have offered yourself to be with the whole world, and you know what else? You want us to actually try to reflect that. You're inviting us into partnership with you so that we can reflect you to the world around us. Now, we don't accomplish this without making mistakes. I make mistakes. We will all make mistakes. We're not going to be exactly like Jesus. And I found some people in their Christian life and experience have said to me, it's just too hard. Like, he was so good, and I am not. And I say, okay, yeah, I get that. I relate to you over here on this side. But here's the thing. We have been offered help. And one of the great things why I think it's good that we come together as Christian people and pray together is part of our prayer should be marked by confession. Being able to ask God to be able to forgive our sins so that we can own them we can understand that God wants something better for us, and he can take us from that way forward. We can admit our mistakes, ask for forgiveness, pick ourselves up, and carry on. And along the way, we ask for help. We ask in prayer for help and guidance. And I like the analogy that they use in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, who says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way when he walked. 
So as we read through the Gospels, and as we start to be able to understand how was it that Jesus rubbed shoulders with people? How is it that he ended up helping uh, in difficult situations? How is it that he provided for people, helped people, forgave people, encouraged people? I think one of the things that we'll find is that consistently he was caring for the people that he came in contact with. He was concerned. And it was interesting, this last Tuesday night, I learned something at our uh, prayer group about practical ways that we can be caring towards other people. One person shared that as they drive down the street of the community that they live in, that they pray for the people in the houses, even if they don't know who the people are. I thought it was an absolutely great example of how to be caring and concerned for other people. And I thought to myself about the way that Jesus took time for people. And he also didn't favor one group of people over another. Um, it's kind of interesting. When we read the stories about Jesus spending time with Samaritans, and when he uses the example of the good Samaritan, uh, Jesus' contemporaries didn't really like Samaritans. They, they were those other kinds of people. You didn't really spend time with them, and they didn't have a good track record or history or background, and so it was best just to avoid them. And Jesus said, no, you know, I've come here for all people, and as a result, we're going to make friends with Samaritans, and I'm going to take time uh, with a Samaritan woman who doesn't have a great reputation or background uh, it's really important for us to do that. And at prayer group, something else that we were encouraged with this last week was to be able to care for people who are unseen. And I thought to myself, this is a bit of a challenge because, you know, our neighborhoods mostly involve people who we know and people who are maybe in a lot of ways similar to us. You know, I go to work every day and everybody wears the same color uniform that I do for the most part. There's a few civilians that are hired there, but for the most part, it's all people that wear the same clothes as me. And there's a lot that we end up having in common, and many of us associate with people, and we have a lot in common with them in many ways. But I think scripture challenges us also to be able to think about people that are maybe a little bit different or removed from us. So that makes me think a little bit. How can we kind of conjure up in our mind places that we could go where we put a little bit more effort to be able to engage and encourage someone who is um, different, who maybe has a different experience, different track record than us. And all the time while we're doing this, may we live out an example of being able to reflect who is at the center of our lives and what is really very important. I heard a statement long ago that has stuck with me, and it says, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. And being a person that shared a fair number of sermons, at first that didn't maybe strike me that well. But I thought to myself, you know what? Uh, we need to think as a church family uh, and as a church collectively about the fact that church doesn't just happen here with us together for this length of time on Sunday morning. It's about when we leave here. It's about being in the neighborhoods that we have the opportunity to be in. It's about living out our lives as hopefully a story where people can ultimately see what's really important to us, where we can live out our lives as sermons for other people. And so that's my challenge for you this morning, is how can you do this as a student, as an employer, as an employee, 
as a retiree or anyone else that I haven't covered yet? How can we live out our lives in the neighborhood that we have the opportunity to be able to influence? And who's in your sphere of influence? You know, think for a little minute. Who are the people that I have an opportunity to be able to impact? And it doesn't always necessarily involve words. And so the first invitation is for you to be able to think about that. The second thing I'd like you to do is remember to pray for military chaplains and for people that serve in the military. I, I want to tell you a little bit about my work as a military chaplain. The uh, Canadian chaplains during World War I and World War II set an example um, that was in contrast to some of our allies that we were serving alongside of at the time. The allies, um, their chaplains, tended to stay back uh, from the trenches and only were brought forward for services. But Canadians seemed to develop a very good rapport with the soldiers and deployed with the soldiers and lived with the soldiers all the time as they prepared to deploy, that their natural place was just to end up being in the trenches. They were non-combatants, they didn't fire weapons, but yet at the same time, they were there with the soldiers, helping them in whatever way they could. And so as a result, when a friend of mine, Mike Allen, who was a chaplain at the time, started to talk to me about becoming a chaplain, I said, well, I don't really know very much about it, like explain it to me. And he said, well, ultimately, you've got to put on this uniform. And I said, well, isn't there a way for me just to kind of show up in civilian clothes and like, you know, provide spiritual care for the soldiers? I'm not really sure I wanted to do that at the time. And he said, no, 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 no. He says, you don't get it. He said, you need to be able to take on the same uniform, sign on the dotted line. You need to be able to go through basic training like everybody else and you need to learn to live and eat and work and sleep. So that's where the IMPs come into. I have eaten more of these than I wish to say. In fact, for three successive different month-long periods of time, I have sat around with other Canadian soldiers and we have heated these up and we have eaten them. And the last time I did it, I ate a lot of pasta ones for some reason. And I thought to myself, on day 12, this tastes a little bit like cardboard with tomato sauce on it. <laughs> but the funny thing is, is the time that we sit around and we eat IMPs together and we share food, it gives us an opportunity to be able to talk about the best ones and the worst ones, the ones we like and the ones we don't like. And I have tried the poutine one that they recently came up with. And it's, don't go there, don't go there. <laughs> Don't go there. The only problem is sometimes when there's a box that's open, you're not really supposed to go through and look which kind it is, because then you leave the lousy ones for the last guy. You're supposed to just take one and go with it. And it is, uh, it is a great opportunity to be able to laugh, tell stories, engage in what you're assigned to be able to do, and to be able to be a ministry of presence with other people and of course, I have to use uh, Jesus as my guide because I happen to be a Christian chaplain. Not all of us are Christian chaplains, but because that's my guide and my faith family. And I am an ordained minister in the Free Methodist Church in Canada. I'm just appointed to military chaplaincy, different than when we pray for God to appoint the next 
minister that comes here will be appointed to the Blue Mountain Community Church. But in the wonderful way that we start to think today about how to be able to pray for military members and military chaplains, as well as asking God to guide us as we live out our opportunities that we have before us, I want you to be able to think about them uh, serving within our borders for forest fires and possibly even floods that sometimes come along, for even security for G20 events that took place a number of years in Huntsville. And then also there's opportunities to serve outside of Canada. The Philippines had a massive typhoon a number of years ago in 2013, and I was one of the first responders that uh, showed up in our little camp that we were there, and I can remember very clearly, there were two pallets. There was a pallet of bottled water, which we needed because it was really hot, and there was a pallet of these IMPs. And I thought, yep, this is pretty much the way that we're all set up and ready to go, so what do you want us to do? And then we kind of go from there. And it's a wonderful thing right now to be able to think to ourselves about um, before the war broke out in Ukraine, Canadian soldiers went there and were there for five years. Um, they actually had Ukrainian cooks that made them food so they didn't have to eat these all the time while they were there. And for about five or six years, they trained soldiers in the western part of the country that was far away from where the more minor conflict was at the time. And uh, they went there for a six months period of time and then rotated out, came back to Canada, and another group of Canadian soldiers went there. And then when war broke out, uh, things changed and uh, Canadians started to be able to train Ukraine soldiers that came out and are in other European countries. And last summer, when I was deployed in Latvia, we had a very small group of Ukrainian soldiers that uh, were going for some training at the base I was in. And uh, it was wonderful to be able to see how good life was for them. We were a bit tired of our food that our cooks were making for us at the time, but they were really pleased about it and happy. And uh, I couldn't communicate with them because they didn't know English. I didn't know Ukrainian. But as I would sit across from them in a table in the dining hall, I realized that during this period of training, life was pretty good for them. And then I remember the day when I saw them as these happy young people that wanted to live in a country without a war, um, getting onto a bus and being able to leave and knowing that they would be involved in conflict that would be very, very serious. I can remember just thinking, wow, um, I need to remember to pray regularly for them and hope you can join me in that. And uh, one of the things right now people ask me, well, why was it that you went and worked in Latvia and why is it that Canadians are there? And I thought that Faith Shelley explained it to her son um, the best way. She said, it's a little bit like when you have a a young child that's not old enough to walk to the convenience store safely by yourself because you just want to have a presence alongside of them. So you have an adult or a teenager that walks alongside them from your home to the store. She says that's in essence what Bob's doing and the Canadians are doing by going to a Baltic country that borders Russia and Belarus. They feel threatened. They're a small country of about two million people, and they like their NATO friends that come and walk alongside them at this time in their journey. And so as we start to be able to think about how God can guide us to continue to be able to pray, uh, keep these things in our minds. 
and pray for God to continue to open up opportunities for all of us to be a presence of Jesus into the lives of those that we're around. So we're going to pray for a few minutes because I said that we needed to pray prayers of confession. We're going to start with that, but then also we're going to lift up other concerns. Let's bow our heads. Gracious God, we thank you for our Savior Jesus that came into the world, who lived among people just like us, who worked out experiences with different kinds of people from different backgrounds and gave us a record that we can look to and be inspired by. And we thank you so much that that is a high value and very important in the life of our church, and we've heard about that in recent weeks as we gathered here together. And it also reminds us that in times where we feel we have fallen short of the mark, we ask for your forgiveness into our lives and we confess our sins and we realize that there are times where we are wayward and we need your help and guidance to get back on track. And today we also want to be able to lift up in prayer um, those who have been on our hearts and minds and maybe even people we have brought here today on our hearts and minds that we're concerned for and we're asking you to help them and bring healing in the instance of Lindsay, Glenna's niece that we're praying for, for people that are in need of, of guidance and help in a time of transition in their life like Faith and Amos and their family, we ask that you would be with them and guide them. For apple farmers in the area who have been affected by recent weather, we lift them up to you and ask that you would help them in their work. For the Canadian Armed Forces members and the chaplains that serve them, we ask that you would give them strength and guidance in their work. We pray for these young soldiers and the other soldiers in Ukraine right now that are fighting to defend their country. We lift them up to you and ask that you would be with them. And we do ask God that you would open our eyes and soften our hearts to the people that you place around us so that we can serve you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Blue Mountain Community Church Podcast. May God's word fill you up this week. God bless.